Yes, I'm back. <laughs> Our reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm reading from verse 17 to 20 in the New International Version. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This is God's word. Well, love like this. You know, as I just say those words, I think about two ways that you can look at that. One is that you can look at love such as this that Jesus provided. And the other side of it is perhaps the other reading is we should love like this. This, uh, this letter, 1 Thessalonians, and I, we've been looking at uh, uh, chapter 2 and going on to early 3. Uh, this letter is rooted in a story that we read in Acts 17, and the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey, going from city to city, he's sharing the gospel, and he goes to Thessalonica, which is in northern Greece, and he shares the gospel message, and Jews and Gentiles, people who are not Jews, both come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is super exciting, isn't it? Because it's always exciting when a church starts to grow or when a new church is started and it's, it has life to it. So it's always exciting. So as Paul heads uh, in this area, it, the church uh, is at the stage where they're starting to grow but there's persecution going on as well. That comes in very quickly to the, to the point where the Apostle Paul has to actually be removed from the city. He has to escape. And as Paul heads out on the road to Athens now, he's curious as to what happened to these baby Christians. Do they still love Jesus? Are they still connected to the gospel? Are they still full of Christ? Are they still loving one another? And he, he eventually sends his young apprentice, Timothy, to the city to find out what's happened. And Timothy comes back and reports that these baby Christians are still holding fast to Jesus. What you planted is still going ahead. They're still loving one another. And Paul expresses the fact that he is overjoyed at this. So he sits down and he pens this letter or chisels this letter <laughs> or has some, somebody else beside him and uh, put it down. So, so far in this letter we see that Paul is celebrating God's faithfulness to do all the things uh, that he's done in the hearts of these new believers. But Paul understands that persecution is still real and not everybody handles that well. Now, there are people who opposed Paul and the very reason why he left and, uh, and they have been saying to the young Christians, 
Well, you know, Paul doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care for you. Paul was just using your relationship with him to do what he wanted for himself. It was a self-love thing. He was using you to satisfy, to gratify, <coughs> gratify his own needs and to exalt himself. He doesn't really care about you. But this letter shows us that that is absolutely not true. And how good it was for Paul to be able to send this letter to these young Christians to say, this is not true. Nothing could be further from the truth. So in the start of chapter 2, verse 17, Paul gives us this very beautiful expression of how he loves these Thessalonian believers. And what I believe we find is four very distinct characteristics about the kind of love that the Apostle Paul had for this church. And, of course, this is simply a reflection of the kind of love that we have received through Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful piece of Scripture. Let me look at the four characteristics. The first one is, it is intensely personal. Now, you know, we, in the past we used to write letters by hand rather than typing them. And you've seen things on TV where during the war letters were written to soldiers and they're intensely personal many times. And this is the case here. It's a letter that is intensely personal. Notice the incredibly descriptive emotional language that Paul is using. He is lifting his heart to these people. And in verse 17 he says, Having been taken away from you. To us this simply describes a situation. Something happened, and Paul went. But this is not actually what he's saying in the original language. Paul is using something that is incredibly descriptive and emotional. There are lots of words that he could have used in Greek to say, well, I went away, or I was taken away. But Paul uses a word that actually means orphaned. He says, orphaned. And this is how Paul felt about being taken away from these Christians. Now, in the ancient world, you could use the word, word orphan one of two ways. It could be used to describe children who had been taken away from their parents, who had lost their parents. Or it could also be used to describe parents who had lost their children. We don't normally think about orphaned parents, do we? but that's the way it could be described in those days. And that's how Paul used the term here. He, in effect, is saying, I have been ripped away from you. You are my spiritual kids, and it's deeply affected me, and I'm deeply concerned for you. And in chapter 2 uh, and in chapter 3.10, he uses words like eager desire. He has anxious want. Uh, he says in 3.1 and 3.5, he couldn't endure. He couldn't endure any longer being separated from them. And the word for endure means to cover. In other words, he couldn't cover up any longer how he felt. So great was his feeling. And in 3.6 he said, I long to see you. And in 3.7 he says, I'm comforted by the news when it came. 
And these words uh, describe how a shepherd feels for his sheep. I'm talking about in the sense of a church. How concerned and anxious they are for their well-being. These people are not just projects for Paul. He cares about them. He is literally lovesick over these people. This is the same Paul who was taking people away and having them put in chains. But so great has the word of so great has the word of God impacted his life that he is now lovesick over those who, who have faith. What a change. Think again about the story in Matthew 14. We, we changed to where Jesus is looking over the crowd and there's 5,000 people there. And Jesus looks at the multitude and Matthew records for us that Jesus felt compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now in our culture and language, if we think about compassion, we think about the heart. We think about uh, feeling a bit um, affectionate. But the word that is used there about Jesus and the crowd is, uh, if I can pronounce it, <laughs> splinknetomai. And when we, when we, this is where we get the word spleen from. And in those days, the thinking was it wasn't so much the heart, it was the spleen. I don't know why, but, but that was the thinking. And the idea here is that Jesus' feeling, his compassion for these people was so deep that it literally pained him internally. Reflect on Paul and his feeling for the church and reflecting here on Jesus and the 5,000. It wasn't just that Jesus had a warm and fuzzy feeling in his heart. This made its way down to his gut. He was literally bent over sick out of loving concern for them. Okay, the second thing that we find in this 1 Thessalonians, we see that Paul's letter is unselfishly motivated. It's highly personal, but it's also unselfish. We don't see Paul talking about, you should be thinking about me and the troubles that I'm going through, and, and obviously, you know, I've been torn away from you. Can't you spare a thought for me and my pain for you? No, he's, he's always thinking about the church and his joy he says is wrapped up in knowing that their faith in Jesus has taken root because he sees that it's their benefit he is concerned that the faith takes root swapping over again to John 17 once again we see Jesus who is concerned and he's praying the great prayer, sometimes called the high priestly prayer. And he prays for those who are there at that time, and he also prays for those who will come. Guess who was one of those who would come? The Apostle Paul. And so the same concern that Jesus shows for his disciples in that time and beyond, in John 17, as he prays for them, is the same concern that the Apostle Paul has for the church. And in fact, if we compare the two alongside one another, we see that there's almost an identical pattern of how deep the care is and the order of the concern 
for these people. Jesus, of course, emptied himself. That's how concerned he was. He allowed himself to be taken to the cross, to die on a cross so that we could live. Which leads me to the next point. Paul's letter is gospel-centered. It's right at the center. Paul's feelings for these people completely orbits around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only praying like Jesus, not only having concern like Jesus, but a concern that is built upon Jesus himself and, of course, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And one of his greatest joys, Paul says, is that he will see the finished work of Jesus Christ worked out in these people's lives. Paul is saying, in effect, my love for you is in seeing that day come to fruition in your life. My love is to push you closer to that ultimate day. My love is to push you closer to Christ. And he prays the same thing in uh, verses 9 and 13. Not just for a future day, but also for the present. It's wonderful that we have a faith that gives us a, a, a sure foundation for hope eventually. But we also need the work of God in our lives here and now. And as we reflect on this, this letter, particularly the gospel-centeredness of it, I think we need to understand, as we see Paul expressing love for the church, as we reflect on how Jesus shared concern and love for those that were his disciples, we need to understand that apart from the cross, we don't really have a definition of what true love is. Many of the ways that we express love are very shallow. But here we've seen Jesus being moved in his gut. He has so much concern and love for his people. And here we see Paul being deeply moved in love for his people. I think we also need to identify the fact, thirdly, that Paul is interceding for these people. He's intentionally decided to intercede for them. And he demonstrates his love for the church by visiting in the first place. And he has demonstrated this love by sending Timothy in his place when he can't be there. And he's demonstrated his love by writing this letter, which we now benefit from, because we can see how the love of Jesus Christ impacted Paul and how Paul's love which he got from Jesus Christ, now impacts that community. And we can see how Jesus' love in his prayer affects not only them and not only Paul, but us. And how Paul's um, concern and teaching and guidance and intercessory prayer for the church is part of the heritage that you and I have received. What's the greatest way that we can intercede in love for someone else when we cannot physically be there? Sometimes something happens in our families and we would like to be there. But if they're a thousand kilometers away, we can't necessarily be there. 
So what's, what's, what can we do? And the answer is prayer, sincere prayer, Holy Spirit-dependent prayer, Holy Spirit-empowered prayer. And when we realize that we really have no power of our own to provide for this person that we want to pray for, uh, we call on the only God who has the ability to do what we cannot. And isn't that exa exactly, again, what Jesus did in John 17? He would not be immediately with his church. What does he do? He intercedes for them. He prays for them. He proclaims a blessing upon them. And this is what Paul does for his church. He intercedes with them, just like Jesus did. Let's look at four things that Paul prayed over this church. Well, firstly, in, in 3.10, he prays that God might send him back, that he might strengthen in their faith what is lacking. We would do well to pray for one another in the same way. In 3.12, he prays that their love would increase. He writes that their love would increase for one another in the church. It's not that they weren't loving each other because as we read this letter, part of the report back to Paul from Timothy is that these people are loving one another. So they're not failing. So what does he mean? What it means is that Paul was praying for us and them that our love for one another would never stagnate. It would never become just ordinary. That it would never plateau, that it would never become just a ritual, that we would never just follow the template. There you are, I've said my prayer. Now, he, he prays that it would not stagnate. He prays, in effect, that the Holy Spirit would always energize us as we pray and motivate us to prayer, and that we would be willing to do what the Holy Spirit calls us to do. Verse 3.12, at the end of that, not only does he ask that their love increase for one another, but he does something very radical. He prays that their love would also increase for everyone. It's that who is my neighbor thing coming up again. I know these people are my neighbors, but those people, come on. And this is what he's saying. He prays, he says, not only to, to your love to increase for one another, but your love to increase for all people. Meaning not just those inside this wall, these walls, but also those who are far from God. And in 3.13, he prays that their hearts would be established in holiness, that they would be set apart, which is what holiness means, that they would be different, that their holiness would be feel, fully realized at Christ's return. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about holiness and the growth that needs to happen in a Christian life. And of course, to be fully realized, it needs to grow. It needs to increase by dimension, by, by degree. And so... As we look at what happened in the church, we see that, number one, Jesus' prayer that there would be disciples uh, would continue to have faith. 
and would encourage one another and would be a witness to the world. We know from this perspective that that happened. We are part of that. And as we look at Paul's letter, looking at his prayer for the church, we see that the church thrived, that they did hold fast to Jesus Christ, that they did look after one another, that they did have also an outward, an outward orientation. Yes, once again, going back to Jesus, praying in John 17. And this is what he said. I do not ask that you take them. He's talking to his father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one while they are in the world, that you sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. Paul loves this church so much that he pleads with God to strengthen them. It's intensely personal. It's unselfishly motivated. It's gospel-centered and it's very, very intentionally interceding. And we see all those four things, even in this small portion of Scripture. That's the way that Jesus loved his disciples. That's the way that Jesus loves us. That's the way that Paul loved his church. That's the way that we should love also. And as we consider that, let me remind you that God is not far away from you. He is very close. As we read in the Scriptures, we, we are presented with a picture of Jesus interceding for us with the Father. Yes, he prayed in John 17 for his disciples and those who would be disciples later on, including us. But the Bible also tells us that he is interceding with the Father now. Any guesses as to who he's interceding for? You and me. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> and I believe on the basis of how Jesus prayed in John 17 and how Paul reflected that in 1 Thessalonians that as we consider the Jesus who is interceding for you and me right now, I believe it's not too much to believe that he's intensely personally praying for you and me. It's unselfish. He doesn't have to pray for you and me, but he's unselfish by nature. He chose that path, and he is praying for you and me unselfishly right now. I believe his prayer for you and me is likewise that the gospel message, that the gospel be at the very heart of who we are and who we continue to be. Because that will sustain us. We have been given the word of God to sustain us. He died on a cross and rose again to make things happen in our lives. And I believe he's very intentional about how he intercedes for you and I also. Let's pray. Father God, we are so encouraged 
by what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. Even at the times when we have things pressing against us, we are encouraged to know that Jesus in John 17 prayed for us. We're encouraged by the prayer and the concern and the pastoral heart that we see in Paul for the church at Thessalonica. And Lord, we know and trust that you are praying for us now. And that as you once said, what the Father had given you, the people Father had given you, you will in no way lose. And so we know that you will not lose us. We will not be lost if we are given to you and cling to you. And we praise you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.